Hello and welcome. This is the Book of Acts by Word Online. So welcome back to the last episode in series two. And we're going to conclude the story about Paul's remarkable conversion on the Damascus Road. There's another part of the story that Luke tells us about here, which is uh, very informative and important for us uh, as we fill out the picture of what's happening in the church. But it was a remarkable episode that we discussed last time. And if you haven't heard that episode, I'd very much encourage you to listen into it because this was a turning point in the history of the church. There's no question about it. Paul, the arch persecutor, is stopped in his tracks and miraculously converted through uh, the voice of Jesus speaking to him and all the remarkable circumstances around it. And he totally ceases his activity of opposing the church and immediately engages in promoting the faith of Jesus. And he realizes that he's called to be a leader. So before we look at our passage today, we're just going to remember what was said in the previous passage when the Lord himself spoke to Ananias, the man who uh, helped um, Paul uh, in Damascus. In verses 15 and 16 of Acts 9, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So at that particular time, Saul or Paul, we can call him either, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, realized that there was a massive calling on him. His life was going to change incredibly and he must have realized it's going to involve a lot of travel. He'd been based in Jerusalem, but now he was going to be traveling far and far and wide. So the question now comes, well, what happened next? Did this start immediately? Uh, Did he stay in Damascus? Did he go to Jerusalem? Did he go back to his home city where he'd come from originally, a place called Tarsus in southern Turkey in a Roman province called Cilicia? What was going to happen next? And Luke tells us the remarkable story of the things that happened following Paul's baptism in Damascus at the hands of the disciple Ananias and his healing from blindness and the restoration of his sight and his strength. So let's read um, verses uh, 19, the second half of verse 19 through to verse 25. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, He began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. 
But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Well, the story of Paul is always dramatic. And there's a very dramatic episode here. He spent uh, several days uh, with the disciples in Damascus and he uh, continued uh, preaching uh, and he went in the synagogues. There was more than one synagogue in Damascus because there was a large Jewish community. So he went everywhere he could amongst the Jewish communities. And he said, well, you know, I used to be a against Jesus, but I've met Jesus and I realize he's the Messiah. And then he started preaching the gospel to them. Now, this was something he continued to do for many years, going into the Jewish places of worship and preaching the gospel. And what he would do is that he would take key texts from the Old Testament prophecies particularly, and explain how they applied to Jesus. Now, the Jews were tremendously confused. They knew about Saul or Paul. They knew that he was a very strong supporter of their religion, working with the high priests in Jerusalem and trying to suppress this new Jewish sect. So suddenly they think, well, why is he change size what's happened and so they listened to his story with great confusion so it's interesting that Paul immediately starts speaking the gospel message he realizes that this was his calling he was a gifted leader teacher and he had been trained in the study of the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament. He'd studied in Jerusalem under a well-known rabbi called Gamaliel who appears in our text. We've seen him before in an earlier episode and Paul refers to him uh, later on as his teacher. He knows all about Judaism. He's very committed. He's a member of the sect known as the Pharisees and he's obviously a good public communicator with a considerable intellect and considerable abilities. And immediately all these gifts are turned to the use of the gospel. And he becomes a public communicator in the synagogues of Damascus for a short period of time. But then in verse 23, Luke says that after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy. So opposition to Paul was rising amongst the Jews. But what does the expression after many days actually mean? This requires a little bit of thought. And this is where uh, Luke has compressed the story in order to bring out certain points that he's interested in. But Paul himself tells us what happens at this particular time in his life, in the book of Galatians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, which is incredibly important for understanding the story at this point. In writing later to Christians in churches that he planted in a district known as Galatia, 
in Galatians chapter 1, um, verses 15 to 18, Paul makes this fascinating statement describing the events that happened at exactly this time in his life. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, or Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. Now, when Luke says, after many days, we find out that the many days is three years. And what Paul has done, having had this revelation from Jesus, and having preached briefly in the synagogues, he felt he needed some space to prepare himself and pray and think about his future. And he says here that he went into Arabia. Well, the description of Arabia here probably refers to the geographical area immediately surrounding Damascus, which was part of a kingdom known as Nabatea, an Arab kingdom uh, in those days, under, largely under Roman rule. And so he probably went from Damascus into some regions nearby, which he describes as Arabia. Basically, away from people, away from the front line. And for three years, he had a time of preparation. I'd love to know more about those three years, and I'm sure you would, but we don't know exactly what happened. He may have preached to communities that he met during that time. It may have been a time of intensive preparation and prayer. I think for certain Paul would have gone through the whole of his knowledge of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and looked very carefully at the text from the point of view of now believing that Jesus was the Messiah. And he would particularly have given attention to the prophecies and also the theme of the calling of Israel um, uh, and, and what the purpose of the Jewish people were now that he was going to be speaking to the Gentiles. So there was a lot of thinking going on in Paul's life during those three years and we don't know very much about it but it's very interesting part of the story and Luke doesn't mention it he just says after many days so if those many days are three years we find that he started in Damascus for a short period of time he went into Arabia for three years then he came back to Damascus and that's when big trouble started because the Jewish community in Damascus had been very upset by Paul. In those short periods 
in that short period of time when he'd been preaching in the synagogue. They're very confused and upset. And when he left the city, they would have been very relieved. He'd gone off somewhere into Arabia. They probably didn't know where he'd even gone. He hadn't gone back to Jerusalem. He wasn't talking to the high priests. He wasn't doing anything significant that they could see. And then he came back after three years. And at that moment, some of the people in the Jewish community thought, we don't want him back here. In fact, he's really dangerous to our religion because he's changed sides and he's now going to be speaking against the Jewish religion and in favor of the new Christian faith proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. And that's the context of the statements here that there was a conspiracy to kill Paul. Several times in his life, there was an attempt by Jewish groups to assassinate him. And this is a theme that you will see running through the book of Acts. Because amongst the Jewish people, when Paul preached, there was always a division. Some people believed the gospel and joined the church from the Jewish faith. But usually most of them didn't. And this is the first time we see this pattern here and we'll see it on a number of occasions. They were watching the city gates because Paul had found out about the conspiracy and so they thought he'll probably want to leave again. And so they literally were watching the gates. In ancient cities in the Middle East at this time, uh, cities like Jerusalem and, and Damascus were surrounded by defensive walls with a small number of gates. So it was fairly easy to observe who comes and goes if you've got people at those gates. If you go to the city of Jerusalem today, you'll see a medieval version of the walls and the gates that are similar to the ones that existed at the time of Jesus. And the similar situation was uh, the case in Damascus. So they calculated that he would decide to leave. And so they watched the gates in order to take him captive and assassinate him. I mean, it's a ruthless assassination plot that was planned. But we see <clears throat> that the Christian community in, in Damascus got together with Paul and decided that it was too much of a risk for him to stay in the city and too much of a risk for him to leave the city through the gates because they knew that they were being watched. And so this is how they decided to do it, that he would be lowered in a basket at night through an opening in the wall. Very dramatic. And that's how Paul escaped the city of Damascus when he was in key danger. Interestingly enough, when Paul recounts this story in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 32 and 33... Um, he, he adds another very interesting bit of information. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of 
the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. So the Jews had been speaking to the authorities who were uh, under the leadership of King Aretas, an Arab ruler of the kingdom of Nabatea. And his governor agreed with the Jews that Paul was a bit of a troublemaker in the city. And so the Arab authorities and the Jewish um, members of the local synagogues worked together in this conspiracy. So it appears that the guards at the gate may also have been uh, uh, members of the local uh, police or military for the ruler working with the Jews. So that's an interesting detail. So it was a matter of real danger to Paul that his life could end right there before he'd even started his ministry. So he escaped by going through the wall in a basket. And then he came to Jerusalem. Now, this is another dramatic moment. What on earth is going to happen to Paul when he comes back to the city of Jerusalem? He had left the city three years earlier with some temple guards armed, heading for Damascus to arrest Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem under the authority of the high priest. And yet they'd heard all these rumors about him, that he'd changed sides, that he'd given up, uh, on Judaism, that he joined the church and was preaching about Jesus. So the Jewish authorities were very angry and hostile towards him. What's their response going to be? And what's the response going to be of the early church? Because their last memory of him was the arch persecutor, who literally went door to door in the city, knocking on the door of known Christian families and households and arresting people. And as I mentioned in the last episode, interrogating them carefully to find out if they had any contacts in other districts where he could follow up and arrest them too. So when Paul comes back into the city of Jerusalem, he's got to deal with the Jewish authorities. What are they going to do to him? And he's got to deal with the church and its leaders and the apostles who he makes clear in his statements in Galatians 1, he has not yet even met. And one of the reasons he didn't go to Jerusalem, by the way, was because he believed his calling to be an apostle and his revelation of the gospel came directly from Christ and it wasn't passed to him by Peter and the others. He's not a second-hand apostle who just speaks a message that someone else told him. He makes the point in Galatians 1, I received this revelation from Jesus Christ. He called me to be an apostle. But now, <clears throat> after three years, it's time for them to meet up. Verses 26 to 30 tells us this story. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them 
how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the believers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the hostility of the Jewish authorities is there. It's not spoken about much in this passage, but what is spoken about is how the church connected to, to, to Paul, and they wouldn't even believe initially that he was a disciple. It just seemed incredible to them. All they could remember was this terrible trauma of him literally breaking up the church, forcing hundreds and thousands of people out of the city into exile and to move to other areas, and then imprisoning people within the city uh, in the special prison compound that was part of the Jewish temple complex under the authority of the high priest and the Sanhedrin. So they were very, very cautious. But then we come to a very interesting man in the New Testament story, Barnabas. We've heard of him before. He was uh, clearly amongst the key people in the early church and we heard of him before because he sold some property, a field, in order to provide funds at an earlier stage in, in, the, in the city to help the church at a time of economic pressures. You may remember that incident if you've been following through the story as a whole. And now Barnabas returns again. <clears throat> and Barnabas can see a problem. He believes that Paul is a true apostle and has been truly converted and he's a totally different person who left Jerusalem three years ago. He has really good reputation with the apostles. He's part of their group, as we'll find out later on. We see that he's an apostle himself, not one of the 12, but one of those few people who were added in by Jesus Christ in the 40 days between his resurrection and his ascension. He's named as an apostle uh, a little bit later on by Luke. So he's very close to the 12, very close to Peter, and he goes to them and says, you have to help here. We've got a problem. Paul wants to meet you. You need to trust the fact that what's happened to him is genuine. And so he builds the bridge where there'd been distrust and fear, and to be honest, pain, a lot of pain. People had died in Jerusalem. The first martyr was Stephen, and they remembered that Paul had approved the stoning of Stephen. It's there written in our text. They remembered the ruthless things he did, so to build a relationship with him was going to be very, very tricky emotionally, psychologically. But Barnabas was the human bridge. And as they met, there was an amazing coming together. A relationship between Paul 
and the Twelve and the other apostles was made, which was a very, very important relationship for the future, particularly between Peter, the leader of the Jerusalem apostles, and Paul, who was going to uh, be involved in mission in other areas. But no sooner had this happened than we find that the Jews, some of the Jews in Jerusalem, take great offence at Paul being there. The Hellenistic Jews, these are the same Jews, the people from whose cultural background is outside Israel but are living in Israel, and, and Paul was one of those people. Um, the very ones who'd been the instruments of um, Stephen's martyrdom were horrified to see Paul had changed sides. So they tried to find a way of killing him. The second assassination plot, and not the last, they happen frequently. And the believers realized, as they had done in Damascus, it's not safe in Damascus, but it wasn't safe in Jerusalem either. The hostility levels were too high, the risk was too high, so they sent him off to the town of Caesarea and then eventually to Tarsus. And the significance of Tarsus is that that was his original hometown where his family lived. So he had relatives there. And we don't know if there was a church community there yet, but they wanted him to go to a safer place for the time being until the next part of his mission unfolded. And in God's providence, he had another period of time where he was uh, uh, in a fairly quiet uh, stage of his life. He'd been in Arabia for three years, then he was in Tarsus for a period of time, and then suddenly that very same Barnabas came to Tarsus and knocked on his door one day and said, come and join the mission because we're really moving forward. But that's a story for another day. And so this passage ends with a summary statement. If you've listened to series one and you came to episode 10, you'll know that Luke has a, occasionally a summary statement that describes the situation at the end of a period of church growth and developments. And in series two, the church has been moving from Jerusalem, just one city, into the surrounding districts, Judea and Samaria. And <clears throat> very shortly after this, um, it's going to be moving further away from those areas. And Luke makes this wonderful statement here in verse 31. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in number. This is the first time that the whole of the land of Israel is referenced. If you've listened to earlier episodes, you'll know that there are three main districts in the whole land of Israel at this time. Galilee in the north, Samaria in the middle, and Judea in the south. And it now appears that the church is strong in all three districts. And when it says that it experienced a time of peace, what it means is peace from persecution. Because the persecution had now died down following Paul's conversion. The numbers were too great. The energy wasn't enough amongst the religious authorities in Jerusalem. 
And so they had a time of peace and the church was strengthened. They lived in the fear of the Lord and through the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, the church continued to grow. It's increased in numbers. That's Luke's summary statement. And then in the next series, we'll see how the gospel moves to a new type of people and a new geographical area. But let's reflect on this for a moment. First of all, Paul here is an example of amazing obedience and courage, isn't he? And we need to really honor the fact of his sacrificial attitude. Jesus had already warned him that he must suffer many things for my name. Verse 16 of chapter 9, as recounted to Ananias in the first instance. He knew that suffering was coming, but he knew that obedience mattered most. Calling matters most. And this is my first application, really, as we come to the end of this episode. <clears throat> the book of Acts gives some very interesting examples of different types of calling. And it's faithfulness to what you're called to that matters. Paul had a calling to be a frontline leader and risk taker and apostle and preacher. But notice there's lots of other people in the story who are faithful in less prominent callings. Notice the significance of Barnabas, who has a particular gift of connecting people, building community, taking risks at a human level so new things can be done. Take note of Ananias, a faithful disciple in a local church who probably never left the church in Damascus. He was just a godly man who was able to do the key things at the key points. And if you go through the book of Acts, you'll find lots of faithful people who are just doing the thing that God called them to do. Think back um, <coughs> to uh, the earlier <coughs> stories and you'll see um, how faithful the, the, the 12 apostles were to their first calling. So an application for us is concerning the calling on our lives. What God asks from you is not spectacular success, but faithfulness to your calling. And he puts the jigsaw together. There's some prominent people and usually many less prominent people who play critical roles without Ananias and without Barnabas and without the mobilization of the church community to get Paul out of two very difficult situations. He'd never have been able to emerge alive from the threats that he experienced and he'd never have connected with the Jerusalem church. Let's be faithful to our calling and let's Give thanks to God that there's a principle here in this text which applies to many modern churches in different parts of the world. And that is that despite persecution, God is always sovereign and he will find a way of making his church grow even in hostile circumstances. He's done that here. He's overturned the terrible persecution and caused the church to grow and develop. And this is a story that's being played out in many nations in the world. Some nations where an Islamic regime is particularly hostile to the church, some communist countries, some countries with other religious uh, regimes uh, of different religions, uh, such as in Buddhist countries, where faith cannot easily flourish because of the situation. There are many contexts in which this applies. 
But we need to take courage from the fact that despite the setbacks, God moved his church forward and blessed them. And in this particular occasion, gave a time of peace from persecution. <clears throat> I look forward to welcome you to series three as we continue our journey through the book of Acts. And I hope you'll join us for that. You have been listening to Martin Charlesworth for Word Online. To find out more, visit wordonline.org.